Welcome back to another series of Elements of Craft, where different natural materials come to life as items used for everyday life through the hands and minds of skilled craftspeople found at North House Folk School in Grand Marais, Minnesota. Today we're going to be taking a look at leather and what it's like working with a durable, versatile hide. Beth Dow is a leather bag maker from the Twin Cities, though she says her first traditional craft was carving. I went to a, a spoon carving event in England and one of the little workshops they had was uh, an English saddle maker. All the other ones were all about wood carving. But I saw that there was this little um, leather sewing workshop as well. And I got really excited and I thought, oh, okay, well, there's my weekend gone, you know. I still do carve, but with, with leather work, I can make whatever I want. You know, I had wanted a leather tote bag for a long time and I couldn't find ones I liked. And um, as soon as I, you know, had that process demystified, I thought, oh, well, now I've got a tote bag. And then other people wanted them and other people wanted them and I kept making them. And then I looked around and realized that nearly everything I owned um, suddenly um, needed protection of some sort. So I made covers and cases for everything. Interestingly enough, another North House instructor sees a parallel between working with wood and leather. Candice Lacasse is a former intern at the school and says that she likes the fact that both crafts involve the subtraction of material. So like leatherworking and woodworking are probably two of my favorite things. And I don't know if it has to do with like the deductive quality that you're like kind of taking away materials rather than adding them. It just it feels kind of sculptural to me and that feels a little more natural. Um, and it's a very forgiving material. Like it's just very malleable. Um, you can change the not the texture, but you can change the rigidity of it by, you know, soaking it in water, and then when it dries, it'll hold its shape, and it's just fun. Dow, on the other hand, sees working and stitching with leather almost like a math problem to be figured out. Oh, my favorite part is the the designing, the, the problem solving, um, figuring out how I can take a, a plane of two-dimensional material and turn that into something that's functional and durable and good-looking and three-dimensional. And I've been doing that since I was a child and first started sewing with a machine. And I would lay out, you know, my the pattern pieces and I would just look at them and stare at them and just um, picture how, you know, that odd sleeve shape was going to turn into a fitted sleeve. And it just fascinated me. And I just internalized all that geometry. And so I love applying what I learned as a child, sewing with patterns to making my own patterns for leather work. Today, Lacoste is working on making sandals. The unique thing about her sandals is that, but for a few nails, they're made of 100% leather. And what we do is we put little um, soft metal nails into like where the straps meet the sole to kind of hold it in place. And you have to pound really, really hard so that the sharp point of the nail becomes dull so it's not poking your foot. What's great about making your own shoes is that they're 100% leather, which is pretty hard to find in the stores to find like a 100% leather shoe without cardboard or synthetic materials. Mm. If you're super traditional, we'd be hand stitching everything, but that takes a really, really long time. Then I switch it around and do the heel. Then there's Molly Grant, who came all the way from New England to North House to teach how to make a very special type of shoe. The shoe that I teach at craft schools is called the Pathfinder. It was di designed in the 1920s, and it's a really funky, cool shoe. It's all handmade, all hand-laced. Uh, there's no sewing machine made. It's got a, a leather sole, and uh, they're lined in leather, and um, it's beautiful. 
Grant says the style came from her late husband's father, who was a Bible salesman and quickly understood the need for greater footwear, leading him to change professions and pass it on to his son. Grant says she got her start sewing at a young age, which led her to work in leather and then shoemaking alongside her husband. Originally, my first piece of leather my mother bought for me at a yard sale, so she's the one that I blame this career on. <laughs> Grant runs the Cordwainer shop in Deerfield, New Hampshire, making several different bold styles of shoe. She emphasizes that a cordwainer is someone who makes shoes, while a cobbler is someone who merely fixes them. It takes a good amount of time to make a shoe. That includes a lot of steps and a little bit of raw strength. What are they doing when they're pounding? They're, they're flattening these edges all the way around that are helping to close up the seam, and it's also just flattening things on the interior. We wet it, and that basically mulls the leather, and it makes it nice and soft and pliable, and then we can pound it. And then after this, those are ready to go in the oven. Okay. And put them in an oven for a couple of hours at about 200 degrees, and that will... Um, Dry, the, dry up the um, moisture, and it will help to form them around the last, and it'll help to evaporate more of the glue. I need a couple of unique hammers um, and scissors, basically, at all. There's some unique tools that are needed, but you know you can make shoes at home. You just have to be ingenious and think about what you want to do. Ingenuity is needed when making leather things since it's not always the easiest material to work with. Lacoste mentions that apart from sometimes needing special tools, hides can be quite expensive. The good news is that starting leather stitching is still easy. You really only need a few very basic tools to get started on hand stitching leather, which is great. If you're going to be doing much larger projects, you do kind of need like an industrial machine to sew with. You can't do a lot of leather sewing on like your home sewing machine. Um, so that can be a little bit of a roadblock, but like hand stitched, saddle stitched stuff is absolutely gorgeous. It just takes time and hand strength. <laughs> Since it was once a living organ, leather has interesting properties that can vary depending on which part of the body it was once covering. If you think about you know, our, our own skin and our bodies, um, some parts of us are really stretchy and others, other parts of us, like our fingertips are not so stretchy. Our lips are really thin. Um, our, our bellies, like a cow's belly are really stretchy. You know, if you eat a big meal, your stomach stretches out and then hopefully it'll go back down again. Um, well, the same is true with a cow. And so, um, the leather from the belly is really stretchy and actually basically useless for, for making anything. Um, where the, the leather that goes down laterally along the spine, for example, is exceptionally stable and strong, so you can make good straps out of that. You know, it's just really knowing um, where, you know, what, what part of the animal, you know, where it comes from. I, I tend to use um, mainly shoulder. Grant says the organic nature of leather also makes it feel better on your feet. Your feet breathe in leather shoes, they don't perspire, it's healthier for you than wearing a shoe that's made out of rubber or plastic. People wonder or say to me, oh, my feet sweat all the time. And I say, well, what do you wear? They're like, oh, I wear these rubber Crocs or these. I'm like, well, they're plastic. They promote perspiration. They promote that. Try a leather shoe. Oh, no. <laughs> so, you know, whatever. And then, of course, there's the color. Tanning is a major characteristic of leather. Dow says that just like our skin, she can see changes in real time when exposed to the sun. 
No, it's very, very pale. Um, it's, it's a pale buff color. And in no time at all, you, you start getting a really noticeable tan line. So in bright summer sunshine, if you leave um, one of these pale hides outside um, within about you know, 15 minutes even, you'll you'll notice a, a noticeable mark. And it will continue to get darker, darker, darker till it's a rich, a deep chestnut, or sometimes it stops at kind of like a honey tone. It depends on the hide. And I'm really inspired by um, old classic traditional American um, Western leather. Plain undyed cow hide is my favorite. I love, um, you know, plain linen thread. And that aesthetic. A lot of the time, tanning is done using chromium compounds, though Lacoste mentions there are more natural ways to tan that are better for the environment, if a bit more unusual. Um, but a really interesting fact about tanning leather is that um, each animal's brain is the exact amount of brain that you need to tan its hide. Because one way of tanning leather is to use the animal's brain and you like rub it into the hide. And that's like a crazy fact. <laughs> All of the women say they get their leather from various suppliers, some local and others from around the country. Lacoste says the leather she acquires comes as a byproduct of the beef industry, making use of more of the cow that was being used for food. Though Grant says some of the specialty leathers she gets do come from animals raised for that purpose. Dow says that when she purchases leather, it's important for her to get up close and personal with the material. If I, I can go in and inspect all the hides. I can, you know, roll them over. I can, you know, um, feel around for any imperfections and for their... Um, their durability and um, strength or suppleness, depending on what I need. So I, I like buying them in person. I, you can also buy really great leather online, but then you can't inspect each hide. Cattle are not the only animals whose skin can be used for leather. Lacoste says she's used the hide of many different animals, each with different qualities. I do a lot of pig skin, a lot mm. of um, goat, sheep shearling. I use a lot of that. Um, some fish skin I've worked with. Ostrich. I've never worked with um, deer hide or moose hide or anything like that, but certainly that figures into a, a lot of cultures. It's it's just what we do, you know, using the materials um, available, and that's that's been a human um, need that's been figured out over the over the years of human existence, really. That human need that Dow speaks of is the driving force behind all traditional crafts making use of what's in our lives and environments to transform them into necessities. Grant says she's happy to continue that tradition. People really do want to see old traditional crafts carried on into the future. They don't want to see so much automation. They don't want to see rubber shoes. And when they come across a shoe like, like I'm making, they get really excited and they say, that's great, keep it up, keep doing it. And that's what I do. I miss my husband dearly. He passed away 10 years ago. And, uh, and uh, this, you know, even though he's not with me physically, you know, in, in spirit, he's with me because I'm carrying on what was his business originally, and I love it. It's a wonderful thing to be able to teach shoemaking because people think, oh, I can't make shoes. But then they come to my class, and you just start step one, and you just step two, step three, you can do it. It's just, you know, I think a lot of people look at the finished product and they think, oh my God, who, who could make that? But if you, you know, it's, it's like anything you tackle in this world.
And in the modern age, Dow mentions crafts like these can be worth the time and effort in the long run. Um, I'm hoping that people will have a, a new love for the traditional materials and for uh, just real leather pieces that are intended to last for decades and decades and decades and can be repaired. But just trying to slow down that that, you know, the fast fashion idea of getting like a cheap handbag that you'll use for a couple years and then you have to toss it. Um, I, I'm trying to, I, I love making things that are built to last. And Lacoste says the ramifications of making something can change how you view the world. And there's just um, a sense of like accomplishment of using something that you've made yourself. And then also you look at other things in the world around you and you make those connections of like, oh, somebody actually made this item, (laughs) you know? And then you start thinking about where things actually come from. And once you do, I don't know, it's hard to to stop that kind of trajectory, that kind of thought process. And that's good for everybody because it brings it back to, hopefully, to like local people. For WTIP, I'm Will Moore. Elements of Craft is a radio series and podcast produced in partnership with North House Folk School and North Shore Community Radio in Grammarie, Minnesota. Music in this piece is performed by Skylar Hawkins.